There's four basic ingredients in beer, and barley malt is one of them. Brett, where does Urban Artifact get their malt? Well, Mike, that's a great question because I thought you were going to ask me what the other three ingredients in beer were, <laughs> and I was prepared to say flesh, blood, and bone. <laughs> that one comes out in October. <laughs> but when I'm buying my malt, I buy from Malt Europe because they make the best quality malt at the best possible price. Some of the best breweries in the world use Malt Europe, and I am proud to say that Urban Artifact is one of those breweries. Do you have to be a commercial brewery to use Malt Europe malt? You don't. You can head down to your local homebrew store and you can find a wide selection of Malt Europe malts there. So if you're a pro brewer or a home brewer alike, Get the best value, the best product, at the best price. Get Malt Europe. And they support us. So prost. Cheers. Cheers. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to part two of the Jim Cook interview. My name is Brett Coleman Baker, and as always, I am here with Michael Morgan. Mike, how the hell are you? I look spectacular. That is true. And for those of you who are listening on the podcast, we are also doing these intros in video format on our Bruce Guys YouTube channel, and you can listen to the full episodes there as well, in addition to weekly content we put out under the Booze News uh, show that we do. Yes. But that's not why we're here today. What we're here today is for part two of the Jim Cook interview. Mike, give us a quick rundown of what to expect on this part before we dive into the interview. In this part, there was a die-off in craft beer in the 1990s, lasted for about a decade. And when we started doing Bruce Guy's Happy Hour podcast, one of the things that we wanted to explore was why did that happen? Because there are a lot of people that have a lot of theories and a lot of things that even become accepted fact. You know, that it was a, a, a natural reaction of a capitalist market, supply and demand. There were too many craft breweries too quickly, so it was a natural correction. It certainly wasn't a hit piece. Could not have been like one piece of media. It could not possibly have been one Dateline NBC episode that actually crashed an industry for almost a decade. But as it turns out, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes conspiracies are true. Some sometimes, uh, yeah. Actually, here this story is is incredible of what happens when Anheuser Busch decides they need to destroy Jim Cook and the rest of the craft beer industry in the process, largely to just get to Jim Cook. Well, let's get into it. By the time we get into the late 80s, early 90s, Boston beer is 30% of the craft market, but the craft market's still a tiny percentage of the overall beer market. Nevertheless, big beer, and really specifically Anheuser-Busch, August Bush III, decides that you're the devil and you need to be destroyed. That was so, so weird. So what, what happened, man? I pissed him off. <laughs> <laughs> and How? Uh, How? What did you do? Well, um, we, I know the specific moment. Um, <laughs> we, you know, we won uh, the Great American Beer Festival. 
Yeah. Uh, for three years in a row, right? Yeah, it was, and then there was a year where we didn't enter, and then we won a fourth year. Nice. So we, we were able to characterize that. Charlie said, "Well, you can call it four years running." And so, okay, good. Um, and we had a banner with that, uh, and it was in a uh, beer distributor's warehouse. I mean, they put the different brand banners up, and some yeah. of them had, you know. Uh, Elvira and things <laughs> okay. like that. Yeah. Ours said uh, the best beer in America, winner of the Great American Beer Festival, and had been up there for a couple of years. And it, Here's um, what I found. what'd you find? <laughs> was that you? Was that me? <laughs> I thought it, was, I think it had to be you. Oh, Siri. Yeah. All right. Oh my gosh, Mike. I think. August is listening. <laughs> if good, it's possible. Yeah, August, I think... are you there? <laughs> August, leave me alone. Oh, so he goes on vacation in Hawaii, um, and he thought of these independent beer distributors like my distributor, and rightly so. He made them very rich. Uh, so he's and he's a very, you know, I. Total respect for the man. He was passionate. He he cared about quality. He uh, cared about you know winning. Yeah. Um, and in business, that's an important trait. Yeah. And doing it in a you know in a way that he considered honorable. Budweiser um, is consistent. The beer is oh, it it's, is. it's it's very consistent. good. But and he you know he tasted uh, samples every day from different breweries, and he was I mean. He had a whim of iron. He wiped out a significant portion of the German hop growing industry, the yeah. part that made uh, one of the five noble hops. It was Hersbrook Hersbrucker, and it was a primary hop in Budweiser. And he got, quote unquote, a head feeling <laughs> from samples that had more Hersbrucker in it. And he paid off his hop contracts and stopped using it. Wow. I mean, out of quality concerns. So right, right or wrong, you have to respect the guy. Um, and he was, you know, he was in Hawaii, but is he laying on the beach like you and me? No, he's inspecting uh, the warehouse of his wholesaler there <laughs> to make sure they're meeting his standards. The beer is kept cold. You can eat off the floor, all those things. And he sees this banner. And he stops, and he looks, and he points up at it and asks the general manager, so do you think Sam Adams is the best beer in America? And the guy said, I don't know. I just a beer distributor. They give us the point of sale. <laughs> August, I just put it up. He says, do you think Sam Adams is the best beer in America? And this goes on, uh, and August refuses to move. <laughs> I am standing here until you take that blah 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 banner off the wall of this warehouse. And he stood there, and they had to get some, you know, uh, big crane uh, and move pallets of beer and take the banner down. Uh, and that began. The guy's richer than God at this point. Uh, he's, you know, actually he he was doing well, but the family had so many kids. I mean, ah, they loved having okay. kids, so the yeah. ownership was so fragmented. Yeah. He had, like, less than 1%, I think. So oh, wow. Relatively, okay. I mean, he had plenty of money. Had he wasn't going to nice live under farm. a bridge. but he No, was. he had jet, you know, private okay. this and that. Um, but he wasn't Bill Gates, but he was just doing fine. And that began what uh, Paul Shipman 
at Red Hook, which at that time had been acquired by Anheuser-Busch, Paul called it, uh, with some glee, the ethnic cleansing. And this was <laughs> at a time of the Balkan War where that had, you know, real meaning. Right. And, you know, trenches with a thousand dead Muslims in them. Uh, when the, anyway, so that was a, like, oh, that, that was a little frightening because <laughs> the most powerful uh, man in the entire global business of beer has decided Jim that Cook I needs need to be, cleansed. To be <laughs> ethnically cleansed. You know, he's probably had a trench dug somewhere for me. And it was, it was not without uh, a little bit of scariness because yeah. uh, a guy that I was that I knew was, uh, had been very very high up in Anheuser-Busch and he was at another brewery and he gave me advice he said you know Jim don't park your car in really dark places <laughs> um, you know be really careful late at night and I'm like you must be paranoid uh, and he said, no, after I left AB, I always, uh, before I went through, uh, you know, the scanning at the security at the airport, I always opened my luggage and made sure nobody had planted drugs. Wow. wow. Really? And I thought, he must be paranoid. And after the phone call, uh, I thought, wait a minute. He is paranoid, but he knows. He yeah. was on the executive committee there. Uh, he... he it was called ABIS. He was issuing the hits before he was scared. Yeah, he was. <laughs> he had been there. That's right. And there was this thing called ABIS, uh, which was, I think, Anheuser Busch Investigative Services. Oh, wow! And it hired like ex FBI. Budweiser people. has its own FBI. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the ex uh, head of the FBI was on their board. So Good then God. I realized, oh shit, this is real. I mean, I'm can't believe it in this day and age something like that would happen but uh what i was told is well you know it wouldn't happen directly but you know maybe in a meeting with the teamsters uh <laughs> august <laughs> might just drop a you know i wouldn't mind if somebody beat the crap out of jim cook <laughs> and it was like i was thinking of you know who will rid me of this meddlesome priest uh, for murder in the cathedral and i was like oh okay you know you drop a hint in front of the right people and shit happens yeah. so it was a little bit uh of a i mean i was like i'm scared but i have can i should I be scared? Well, should I not be? Anyway, so it was an interesting time. Um, but the end of the story is I'm still here. Yeah. And he's all gone. Right. Yes, he is. He is all gone. He he's lost his company. Stomping around yeah. in, at Grant's farm. I'm told he now uh, has a rollerboard given to him um, by the Heineken family um, <laughs> because he's so, you know, bothered by what happened and yeah. uh and i mean to this day i still think about that and i just think how i mean i got to respect the guy you know he's now carrying a heineken rollerboard cuz he respects families yeah. and beer heritage and history and uh he made fundamental strategic mistakes of thinking i was the enemy and yeah. I, I, I remember talking to another uh, very senior uh, AB guy at a 
beer industry conference uh, and, you know, hopefully trying to talk a little bit of sense in them and not realizing this was a holy war. But I said, look, I am not your enemy. I'm not August's enemy. You know, I'm a Just little American wise, brewer. You can't, you're not yeah, a threat. Yeah. Uh, you have enemies, but those enemies are in, uh, you know, in Dublin and in Brazil uh, and, you know, in places you may not even know about, like China or somewhere else, because this business is going to globalize. And, you know, you have the opportunity to lead it and think really big. Um, and you're, you're trying to kill little Jim Cook when you've got, you know, these a big global game getting played out. And I'm not sure that you are winning at that. And you were right. Globalization's what kicked his ass. Yeah, a bunch of very smart, very tough, very strategic Brazilians outsmarted and outmaneuvered him and took his company away. And I, I honestly think that that was a big loss for American Brewing. As much as he yeah. tried to put me out of business, I was very sad when that happened. When you go to St. Louis and kind of talk some of the culture there, it is interesting that for all of Anheuser-Busch's flaws, they were still an American company. They were a great and company. they still actually uh, cared a lot about St. Louis. Yes. Which is not something that you can say about AB InBev. No, that's um, not their so, business model. Yeah, right. So, yeah, it was a loss for St. Louis and a loss for America. It was, but it's business. He got outsmarted. I mean, it's, a, uh, again, a warning for anybody in business. That as strong and as powerful and as dominant as they were, there was a bunch of guys from what at the time was a third world country <laughs> plotting, <laughs> you know, how, I mean, that was planned yeah. A good five years in advance. Yeah. That wasn't just a spur of the moment grab an opportunity. They were yeah. totally strategic. You got to, if you're going to be in business, uh, you don't take a day at the beach. There's always somebody who may be smarter and hungrier and tougher and more resourceful and maybe a little bit luckier out there. And you got to be at the top of your game. Arrogance is a dangerous thing. That's uh, my grandmother told me several times, humility is a virtue. And I've always remembered humility is a virtue. Yeah. That's a German thing, too. You know. Probably right. Her name was Kautz. Yeah. What could Anheuser-Busch attack you for? What did they attack you for is really the more appropriate question. Yeah. Well, they went after us on every front. Yeah. Um, we got, in this ethnic cleansing, we got kicked <laughs> out of dozens of Anheuser-Busch wholesalers wow. in very short order, just dropped, and had to scramble, find new distributors. Um, they would go after our point and of that, sale. And that was the, the way they would do that was essentially, my family uh, used to own an IGA, you know, a small grocery uh -huh. store in Appalachian, my grandfather. And... You know, when Walmart moved in with, like, the Pepsi distributorships, it was a question of, well, you can, you can service those small guys uh, or you can service us, but you can't do both. Was that essentially what they did with the distributors? 
Oh, it was, they didn't even have to be that subtle. It was <laughs> like, all right, August would like you uh, to show your loyalty. And uh, you have a 100% share of mine from us. We need a 100% share of mine from you. It was literally a campaign, and they graded wholesalers, yeah. A, B, C, and D. Um, I mean, you can't blame them. They made these guys rich. I mean, yeah. they owed August that fealty. Uh, and they, you know, they, they knew who made their money for him and it wasn't, and I, you know, he'd earned that. He'd earned that. Yeah. And I, or at least Budweiser had. Yeah. Budweiser had. And, uh, and I don't hold it against them that they showed loyalty to the person who had done so much for them and their families. They were beholden to Anheuser-Busch. And when the time came, you know, they did the right thing and screwed me. Yeah. And, okay. <laughs> you know, that's, I'm a grown-up. Um, that stuff happens, but it's not because anybody's a bad person. So we had that there. Well, some of this sounds like pretty shitty behavior to me, but well, uh, it's, <laughs> I, well, I, respect, I respect your, yeah, your bigness. I try to I, find the, the – I mean, I think people are inherently good, and I think that's – that that is my interpretation of their behavior. And I don't hold it. I mean, and some of them are now my distributors again. Yeah. And you know, I'm not gloating or anything like that. It's like welcome back, because um, <laughs> they were good people when I appointed yeah. them, and they didn't become bad people because they did what their primary supplier wanted them to do. And oh, they would tear a point of sale down in the market. They'd move our shelves. Um, so it was kind of hand to hand combat. And then oh, they went to the federal government and petitioned that, um, what was it? They wanted that you had to uh, put the name of your contract producer on the beer label instead of your name. Your so name. mine would have had to say made by Pittsburgh Brewing. Now, I always... Which was an attack because you were still doing... Essentially, well, entirely the, contract brewing. At that point, we were that was right before we bought the Cincinnati brewery here. Yeah. Um, so uh, that, um, and I had always put Pittsburgh on there um, as the brewing location, which we didn't have to do, you know, because Anheuser Busch didn't put uh, Houston, Texas, or right. Merrimack, New Hampshire on there. They just right. put St. Louis, even though it wasn't made in St. Louis. Right. I always put the brewing location and our you know our contracts had always been we have every control of this process and this product that an owner does so uh it to me it was misleading to put brewed by pittsburgh brewing when they had zero control over the ingredients the product the process etc um so that was and the 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 at that time batf looked at it and said that's i mean that makes no sense, um, and they didn't even, uh, you know, review that petition. But that's actually still an active petition. They never withdrew it. <laughs> and if you look at all these craft brewers that Anheuser Busch bought, not a single one says, says brewed that, yeah. by Anheuser Busch, not one. So uh, 
I've if if I were a little more of a jerk than I actually am, <laughs> I, I I've been tempted to write a letter to now the TTB supporting Anheuser-Busch's <laughs> pet- petition. Uh, yeah, it's a great idea. Let's do that. Um, why don't you require that of people? Um, so. That went nowhere. And then they started an attack campaign, an advertising campaign, this national advertising campaign, um, claimed that I was tricking. It was around Halloween, and the ghost of Sam Adams came to my door, and they had a fake Jim Cook voice, and (laughs) Sam Adams was mad that I was deceiving people, blah, blah, blah. Um, and All based on the the idea that you were deceiving people because rather than having a big brewery somewhere, you were doing contract brewing. That's right. Rather than you were still entirely brewery. using your own brewers, making your own beer, With overseeing the entire process. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so they ran that. And then I had a lawyer in Minnesota uh, who called me. And he, uh, I forget his connection to Boston Beer, but he said, I just heard that ad. That is an illegal ad. That is... <laughs> Good for him. Yeah, that is false and misleading on their part. Uh, and you should sue them. Sometimes lawyers help. Yeah. And, <laughs> well, it's... Uh, and um, I had actually uh, called my lawyer who incorporated me, and he's not an advertising lawyer or anything, and I said, this. I think this ad is misleading. And he said... Jim, it doesn't matter. Uh, I said, what do you mean? It, that, that's illegal. It doesn't matter. Um, can't I sue Anheuser-Busch? And uh, my lawyer, Fred, he said, uh, Jim, do you play polo? <laughs> I, what do you mean, Fred? Do I play polo? Of course I don't play polo. And then it's, he said, well, if you don't play polo, you can't afford to sue Anheuser-Busch. <laughs> so uh, I went back to the first lawyer, and he said, you don't have to sue them. The Better Business Bureau has uh, the an arm called the National Advertising Bureau that is set up to adjudicate these disputes outside of the full legal process, and it is uh, very respected, uh, and if they find against Anheuser-Busch, the FTC is very likely, at a minimum, to write them and say, you have to stop this. And if they don't, the FTC will sue them for you. Nice. So, yes. Um, so that. So I took them to uh, the adjudication mechanism of the Better Business Bureau. We won. Um, we got tiny articles. You know, re- yeah. they had to retract yeah. it and change it. But by that time, all the damage was done. But the retraction is never as big as the allegation. Yeah, it yeah. was on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. They, <laughs> yeah. they, they had this other PR campaign that started with uh, a, a long uh, NPR segment about it that came out of, guess what, uh, NPR station, the one in St. Louis. St. Louis, shocking. Yeah. That's shocking. And then they <laughs> they milked that, and uh, oh, and there was a Dateline NBC story. Yeah. About uh, and it, it turned it, out to be a real hit piece. It went yeah. right after craft brewing. It wasn't just, uh, and they teased it during the World Series. It was uh, before you buy another pricey microbrew. There's something you should know. 
watch Dateline, NBC, on Tuesday. And it was a hit piece. And I actually had a friend uh, who had worked at General Electric. And at that time, General Electric uh, owned NBC. Uh, and I asked him to, you know, plead my case to a very senior uh, person at GE. And uh, the answer we got was, look, uh, you know, we can't really make money on the Olympics without Anheuser-Busch. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, we, uh, you're probably not going to like the way the piece comes out, yeah. but we're not changing it. So it came out the way it did. Welcome I think to it was American like Journalism. Chris Hansen, who later got thrown off the air for like some kind of, uh, I think, child molesting or something. There was something <laughs> unsavory uh, that got him thrown off the air. But We're going to go with pedophilia. Whatever. <laughs> I, I can't remember because he was a really good journalist. I mean, he did his job really well, the way they edited it and even lit it was as soon as it, I saw the lighting, because I had this dark shadow lighting <laughs> on my face, and I go, oh, this is not going to come out well. Oh, no. Uh, so um, it came out, it, and that... Who's killing you with beer? Yeah. This guy. That's right. What poisons are going to be in that pricey craft beer? Um, and it, it did exactly what they intended. It was incredibly effective. The growth rate of craft beer, the entire industry, went from 25% to zero within six weeks. I've never seen anything like that in a consumer product other you know, than you know, carcinogenic tainting. Right. It was, and it, craft beer didn't grow again from October of 96 until about 2004. And so we, we look back at the 90s, you know, we've had this conversation a lot on Bruce Guys about what the hell happened in the 90s. You know, was it, was it the kill-off that we kind of seem to remember, uh, and if so, why? And so it seems that a lot of what happened in stagnation and craft in the 90s and even the dying of hundreds of breweries it's all traceable to an ad campaign by anheuser-busch to quash craft ad and pr the pr was very effective as well yeah i mean that's that's crazy that 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 one brewery and that's before they became you know that's that's back when they were still the quote unquote good Anheuser Busch, you know. That's before yeah. they were AB and Bev. That um, they had enough power to have such a detrimental effect on the entire industry. Yeah, almost to stop a cultural movement because yeah. craft beer is. It's yes, it you know has an aspect of being a business, but what's really foundational is it's a cultural movement. Right. And it part of you know a, an artisan culture an artisanal culture and they were they couldn't kill it it was yeah. too strong for them to kill it they but they were able to stop the growth for eight long years which yeah that's that did a lot of damage and well, we're still here you're and still we're sitting here. here and we're drinking great we're drinking beer great beer fantastic life beer. is 
it's okay. It all has a happy ending. The Bruce Guys Happy Hour podcast is a production of Bruce Guys Limited. This episode was edited by Dan Fennessy, who is also our executive producer. This podcast was engineered by Adam Rabinowitz. Thanks for listening.